Chapters three and four of Lena Rivers by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three, packing up. The funeral was over, and in the quiet valley by the side of his only daughter, Grandfather Nichols was laid to rest. As far as possible, his father's business was settled, and then John began to speak of his returning. More than once had he repented of the promise made to his father, and as the time passed on he shrank more and more from introducing his plebeian mother to his lady wife, who he knew was meditating an open rebellion. Immediately after his father's death he had written to his wife, telling her all, and trying as far as he was able to smooth matters over, so that his mother might at least have a decent reception. In a violent passion his wife had answered that, She never would submit to it, never. "'When I married you,' said she, "'I didn't suppose I was marrying the old woman, young one and all. "'And as for my having them to maintain, I will not. "'So, Mr. John Nichols, you understand it.' "'When Mrs. Livingstone was particularly angry, "'she called her husband Mr. John Nichols. "'And when Mr. John Nichols was particularly angry, "'he did as he pleased. "'So in this case he replied that he should bring home as many old women and young ones as he liked and she might help herself if she could this state of things was hardly favourable to the future happiness of grandma nichols who wholly unsuspecting and deeming herself as good as anybody never dreamed that her presence would be unwelcome to her daughter-in-law whom she thought to assist in various ways taking perhaps the whole heft of the housework upon herself though she added i mean to begin just as i can hold out i've heard of such things as sons wives shirkin the whole on to their old mothers and the minute tilda shows any signs of that i shall back out i tell you john who overheard this remark bit his lip with vexation and then burst into a laugh as he fancied the elegant mrs livingstone's dismay at hearing herself called tilda had john chosen he could have given his mother a few useful hints with regard to her treatment of his wife but such an idea never entered his brain he was a man of few words and generally allowed himself to be controlled by circumstances thinking that the easiest way of getting through the world he was very proud and keenly felt how mortifying it would be to present his mother to his fashionable acquaintances but that was in the future many miles away he wouldn't trouble himself about it now so he passed his time mostly in rambling through the woods and over the hills while his mother good soul busied herself with the preparations for her journey inviting each and every one of her neighbours to be sure and visit her if they ever came that way and urging some of them to come on purpose and spend the winter among those who promised compliance with this last request was miss nancy scovendyke whom we have once before mentioned and who as the reader will have inferred was the first love of john livingstone on the night of his arrival she had been sent in quest of the physician and when on her return she learned from lena that he had come she had kept out of sight thinking she would wait a while before she met him not that she cared the snap of her finger for him she said only it was natural that she should hate to see him but when the time did come she met it bravely shaking his hand and speaking to him as if nothing had ever happened and while he was wondering how he ever could have fancied her she too was mentally styling herself a fool for having liked such a pussy overgrown thing 
dearly did miss nancy love excitement and during the days that mrs nichols was packing up she was busy helping her to stow away the crockery which the old lady declared should go particularly the blue set which she'd had ever since the day but one before john was born and which she intended as a part of leany's settin out then too john's wife could use em when she had a good deal of company twould save by a new and every little helped i wonder now if tilda takes snuff said mrs nichols one day seating herself upon an empty dry-goods box which stood in the middle of the floor and helping herself to an enormous pinch of her favourite macaboy i wonder if she takes snuff cause if she does we shall take a sight of comfort together i don't much believe she does answered miss nancy whose face was very red with trying to cram a pair of cracked bellows into the already crowded top of john's leathern trunk i don't believe she does for somehow it seems to me she's a mighty nipped-up thing not an atom like you nor me like enough returned mrs nichols finishing her snuff and wiping her fingers upon the corner of her checked apron but nancy can you tell me how in the world i'm ever going to carry this mop it's brand new never been used above a dozen times and i can't afford to give it away at this point john who was sitting in the adjoining room came forward hitherto he had not interfered in the least in his mother's arrangements but had looked silently on while she packed away article after article which she would never need and which undoubtedly would be consigned to the flames the moment her back was turned the mop business however was too much for him and before miss nancy had time to reply he said for heaven's sake mother how many traps do you propose taking and what do you imagine we can do with a mop why i dare say not one of my servants would know how to use it and it's a wonder if some of the little chaps didn't take it for a horse before night a nigger ride my mop my new mop exclaimed mrs nichols rolling up her eyes in astonishment while miss nancy turning to john said in the name of the people how do you live without mops i should suppose you'd rot alive i am not much versed in the mysteries of housekeeping returned john with a smile but it's my impression that what little cleaning our floors get is done with a cloth well if i won't give it up now said miss nancy as good an abolitionist as you used to be make the poor coloured folks wash the floor with a rag on their hands and knees it can't be that you indulge a hope if you'll do such things john made miss nancy no answer but turning to his mother he said i'm in earnest mother about your carrying so many useless things we don't want them our house is full now and besides that mrs livingstone is very particular about the style of her furniture and i am afraid yours would hardly come up to her ideas of elegance that chest of drawers said mrs nichols pointing to an old-fashioned high-topped bureau cost a notion of money when twas new and if the brasses on it was rubbed up tilda couldn't tell em from gold unless she's seen more on it than i have which ain't much likely being i'm double her age the chest does very well for you i admit said john but we have neither use nor room for it so if you can't sell it why give it away or burn it one or the other mrs nichols saw he was decided and forthwith lena was dispatched to widow fisher's to see if she would take it at half price the widow had no fancy for second-hand articles consequently miss nancy was told to keep it and maybe she'd sometime have a chance to send it to kentucky it won't come amiss i know s'posin they be well on it 
i believe in looking out for a rainy day i can teach tilda economy yet whispered mrs nichols glancing toward the room where john sat whistling whittling and pondering in his own mind the best way of reconciling his wife to what could not well be helped lena who was naturally quick-sighted had partially divined the cause of her uncle's moodiness the more she saw of him the better she liked him and she began to think that she would willingly try to cure herself of the peculiarities which evidently annoyed him if he would only notice her a little which he was not likely to do he seldom noticed any child much less little lena who he fancied was ignorant as well as awkward but he did not know her one day when as usual he sat whittling and thinking lena approached him softly and laying her hand upon his knee said rather timidly uncle i wish you'd tell me something about my cousins what about them he asked somewhat gruffly for it grated upon his feelings to hear his daughters called cousin by her i want to know how they look and which one i shall like the best continued lena you'll like anna the best said her uncle and lena asked why what sort of a girl is she does she love to go to school and study none too well i reckon returned her uncle adding that there were not many little girls who did why i do said lena and her uncle stopping for a moment his whittling replied rather scornfully you i should like to know what you ever studied besides the spelling-book lena reddened for she knew that whether deservedly or not she bore the reputation of being an excellent scholar for one of her age and now she rather tartly answered i study geography arithmetic grammar and history she was going to add but her uncle stopped her saying that'll do that'll do you study all these now i don't suppose you know what one of em is yes i do said lena with a good deal of spirit olney's geography is a description of the earth colburn's arithmetic is the science of numbers smith's grammar teaches us how to speak correctly why don't you do it then asked her uncle do what said lena and her uncle continued why don't you make use of your boasted knowledge of grammar why my anna has never seen the inside of a grammar as i know of but she don't talk like you do don't what sir don't talk like you do repeated her uncle while lena's eyes fairly danced with mischief as she asked if that were good grammar mr livingstone coloured thinking it just possible that he himself might sometimes be guilty of the same things for which he had so harshly chided lena of whom from this time he began to think more favourably it could hardly be said that he treated her with any more attention and still there was a difference which she felt and which made her very happy four on the road at last the packing-up process came to an end everything too poor to sell and too good to give away had found a place some here some there and some in john's trunk among his ruffled bosoms collars dickies and so forth miss nancy who stood by until the last was made the receiver of sundry cracked teacups noseless pitchers and iron spoons which could not be disposed of elsewhere and now every box and trunk was ready farmer truesdale's red wagon stood at the door waiting to convey them to the depot and nothing remained for grandma nichols but to bid adieu to the old spot endeared to her by so many associations again and again she went from room to room weeping always and lingering longest in the one where her children were born and where her husband and daughter had died in the corner stood the old low-post bedstead 
the first she had ever owned and now how vividly she recalled the time long years before when she a happy maiden ordered that bedstead blushing deeply at the sly allusion which the cabinet-maker made to her approaching marriage he too was with her strong and healthy now he was gone from her side for ever his couch was a narrow coffin and the old bedstead stood there naked empty seating herself upon it the poor old lady rocked to and fro moaning in her grief and wishing that she were not going to kentucky or that it were possible now to remain at her mountain home summoning all her courage she gave one last glance at the familiar objects around her at the flowers she had planted and then taking lena's hand went down to the gate where her son waited he saw she had been weeping and though he could not appreciate the cause of her tears in his heart he pitied her and his voice and manner were unusually kind as he helped her to the best seat in the wagon and asked if she were comfortable then his eye fell upon her dress and his pity changed to anger as he wondered if she was wholly devoid of taste at the time of his father's death he purchased decent mourning for both his mother and alina but these mrs nichols pronounced altogether too good for the nasty cars nobody'd think any better of them for being rigged out in their best meetin gowns so the bombazine was packed away and in its place she wore a dark blue and white spotted calico which john could have sworn she had twenty years before and which was not unlikely as she never wore out a garment she was an enemy to long skirts hence hers came just to her ankles and as her black stockings had been footed with white there was visible a dark rim altogether she presented a rather grotesque appearance with her oblong work-bag in which were her snuff-box brass spectacles and half a dozen nut-cakes which would save john's buying dinner unlike her grandmother's lena's dress was a great deal too long and as she never wore pantalettes she had the look of a premature old woman instead of a child ten summers old as she was still the uncommon beauty of her face and the natural gracefulness of her form atoned in a measure for the singularity of her appearance in the doorway stood miss nancy and by her side her nephew joel slocum a freckled-faced boy who had frequently shown a preference for lena by going with her for her grandmother's cow bringing her harvest apples and letting her ride on his sled oftener than the other girls at school strange to say his affection was not returned and now notwithstanding he several times wiped both eyes and nose on the end of which there was an enormous freckle lena did not relent at all but with a simple good-bye joe she sprang into the wagon which moved rapidly away it was about five miles from the farmhouse to the depot and when half that distance had been gone over mrs nichols suddenly seized the reins ordering the driver to stop and saying she must go straight back for on the shelf of the north room cupboard she had left a whole paper of tea which she couldn't afford to lose drive on said john rather angrily at the same time telling his mother that he could buy her a ton of tea if she wanted it but that was already bought and twould have saved so much said she softly wiping away a tear which was occasioned partly by her son's manner and partly by the great loss she felt she sustained in leaving behind her favourite old hyson this saving was a matter of which grandma nichols said so much that john who was himself slightly avaricious began to regret that he ever knew the definition of the word save lest our readers get a wrong impression of mrs nichols we must say that she possessed very many sterling qualities and her habits of extreme economy resulted more from the manner in which she had been compelled to live than from natural stinginess 
for this john hardly made allowance enough and his mother's remarks instead of restraining him only made him more lavish of his money than he would otherwise have been when mrs nichols and lena entered the cars they of course attracted universal attention which annoyed john excessively in oakland where his mother was known and appreciated he could bear it but among strangers and with those of his own caste it was different so motioning them into the first unoccupied seat he sauntered on with an air which seemed to say they were nothing to him and finding a vacant seat at the other end of the car he took possession of it scarcely however had he entered into conversation with a gentleman near him when someone grasped his arm and looking up he saw his mother her box in one hand and an enormous pinch of snuff in the other john said she elevating her voice so as to drown the noise of the cars i never thought on it till this minute but i just as life ride in the second-class cars as not and it only costs half as much mr livingstone coloured crimson and bade her go back saying that if he paid the fare she needn't feel troubled about the cost just as she was turning to leave the loud ring and whistle as the train neared a crossing startled her and in great alarm she asked if something hadn't bust john made no answer but the gentleman near him very politely explained to her the cause of the disturbance after which she returned to her seat when the conductor appeared he fortunately came in at the door nearest john who pointed out the two for whom he had tickets and then turned again to converse with the gentleman who though a stranger was from louisville kentucky and whose acquaintance was easily made the sight of the conductor awoke in mrs nichols brain a new idea and after peering out upon the platform she went rushing up to her son telling him that the trunks box feather bed and all were every one on em left no they are not said john i saw them aboard myself well then they're lost off for as sure as you're born there ain't one on em in here and there's as much as twenty weight of new feathers besides all the crockery holler to em to stop quick the stranger pitying mr livingstone's chagrin kindly explained to her that there was a baggage car on purpose for trunks and the like and that her feather bed was undoubtedly safe this quieted her and mentally styling him a proper nice man she again returned to her seat a rare specimen of the raw yankee said the stranger to john never dreaming in what relations he stood to him yes answered john not thinking it at all necessary to make any further explanations by this time mrs nichols had attracted the attention of all the passengers who watched her movements with great interest among these was a fine-looking youth fifteen or sixteen years of age who sat directly in front of lena he had a remarkably open pleasing countenance while there was that in his eyes which showed him to be a lover of fun thinking he had now found it in a rich form he turned partly round and would undoubtedly have quizzed mrs nichols unmercifully had not something in the appearance of lena prevented him this was also her first ride in the cars but she possessed a tact of concealing the fact and if she sometimes felt frightened she looked in the faces of those around her gathering from them that there was no danger she knew that her grandmother was making herself ridiculous and her eyes filled with tears as she whispered do sit still granny everybody is looking at you the young lad had noticed this and while it quelled in him the spirit of ridicule it awoke a strange interest in lena who he saw was beautiful spite of her unseemly guise she was a dear lover of nature and as the cars sped on through the wild mountain scenery between pittsfield and albany she stood at the open window her hands closely locked together 
her lips slightly parted and her eyes wide with wonder at the country through which they were passing at her grandmother's suggestion she had removed her bonnet and the brown curls which clustered around her white forehead and neck were moved up and down by the fresh breeze which was blowing the youth was a passionate admirer of beauty come in what garb it might and now as he watched he felt a strong desire to touch one of the glossy ringlets which floated within his reach there would be no harm in it he thought she was only a little girl and he was almost a man had tried to shave and was going to enter college in the fall still he felt some doubts as to the propriety of the act and was about making up his mind that he had better not when the train shot into the tunnel and for an instant they were in total darkness quick as thought his hand sought the brown curls but they were gone and when the cars again emerged into the daylight lena's arms were around her grandmother's neck trying to hold her down for the old lady sure of a smash-up this time had attempted to rise screaming loudly for john the boy laughed aloud he could not help it but when lena's eyes turned reprovingly upon him he felt sorry and anxious to make amends addressed himself very politely to mrs nichols explaining to her that it was a tunnel through which they had passed and assuring her there was no danger whatever then turning to lena he said i reckon your grandmother is not much accustomed to travelling no sir answered lena the rich blood dyeing her cheek at being addressed by a stranger it was the first time any one had ever said sir to the boy and now feeling quite like patronizing the little girl he continued i believe old people generally are timid when they enter the cars for the first time nothing from lena except a slight straightening up of her body and a smoothing down of her dress but the ice was broken and ere long she and her companion were conversing as familiarly as if they had known each other for years still the boy was not inquisitive he did not ask her name or where she was going though he told her that his home was in louisville and that at albany he was going to take the boat for new york where his mother was stopping with some friends he also told her that the gentleman near the door with dark eyes and whiskers was his father glancing toward the person indicated lena saw that it was the same gentleman who all the afternoon had been talking to her uncle he was noble-looking and she felt glad that he was the father of the boy he was just such a man she fancied as ought to be his father just such a man as she could wish her father to be and then lena felt glad that the youth had asked her nothing concerning her parentage for though her grandmother had seldom mentioned her father in her presence there were others ready and willing to inform her that he was a villain who broke her mother's heart when they reached albany the boy rose and offering his hand to lena said i suppose i must bid you good-bye but i'd like right well to go farther with you at this moment the stranger gentleman came up and on seeing his son was occupied said smilingly so ho durwood you always manage to make some lady acquaintance yes father returned the boy called durward but not always one like this isn't she pretty he added in a whisper the stranger's eyes fell upon lena's face and for a moment as if by some strange fascination seemed riveted there but the crowd pressed him forward and lena only heard him reply to his son yes durward very pretty but hurry or we shall lose the boat the next moment they were gone leaning from the window lena tried to catch another glimpse of him but in vain he was gone she would never see him again she thought and then she fell into a reverie concerning his home his mother his sisters if he had any and finally ended by wishing that she were his sister and the daughter of his father while she was thus pondering her grandmother also was busy and when lena looked round for her she was gone 
stepping from the car lena espied her in the distance standing by her uncle and anxiously watching for the appearance of her great trunk little trunk bandbox and bag each of these articles were forthcoming and in a few moments they were on the ferry-boat crossing the blue waters of the hudson mrs nichols declaring that if she'd known it wasn't a bridge she was steppin on to she'd be bound they wouldn't have got her on in one while do sit down said lena the other people don't seem to be afraid and i'm sure we needn't this mrs nichols was more willing to do as directly at her side was another old lady travelling for the first time frightened and anxious to her mrs nichols addressed herself announcing her firm belief that she should blue sky high before she reached kentucky where she was going to live with her son john who she supposed was well off worth twenty negroes or more but she added lowering her voice i don't believe in no such and i mean he shall set em free poor critters duddin from mornin till night without a cent of pay he says they call him master but i'll warrant he'll never catch me a-callin him so to one on em i promised nancy scovendyke that i wouldn't and i won't here a little popcorn boy came round which reminded mrs nichols of her money and that she hadn't once looked after it since she started thinking this as favourable a time as she would have she drew from her capacious pocket an old knit purse and commenced counting out its contents piece by piece beware of pickpockets said someone in her ear and with the exclamation of oh the lord the purse disappeared in her pocket on which she kept her hand until the boat touched the opposite shore then in the confusion and excitement it was withdrawn the purse was forgotten and when on board the night express for buffalo it was again looked for it was gone with a wild outcry the horror-stricken matron sprang up calling for john who in some alarm came to her side asking what she wanted i've lost my purse somebody stole it lock the door quick and search every man woman and child in the car the conductor who chanced to be present now came up demanding an explanation and trying to convince mrs nichols how improbable it was that any one present had her money stop the train then and let me get off had you a large amount asked the conductor every cent i had in the world ain't you going to let me get off was the answer the conductor looked inquiringly at john who shook his head at the same time whispering to his mother not to feel so badly as he would give her all the money she wanted then placing a ten-dollar bill in her hand he took a seat behind her we doubt whether this would have quieted the old lady had not a happy idea that moment entered her mind causing her to exclaim loudly there now i've just this minute thought i hadn't but five dollars in my purse t'other fifty i sewed up in an old nightgown sleeve and tucked it away in that satchel up there pointing to lena's travelling bag which hung over her head she would undoubtedly have designated the very corner of said satchel in which her money could be found had not her son touched her shoulder bidding her to be silent and not tell everybody where her money was if she didn't want it stolen mrs nichols made no reply but when she thought she was not observed she arose and slyly taking down the satchel placed it under her then seating herself upon it she gave a sigh of relief as she thought they'd have to work hard to get it now without her knowing it dear old soul when arrived at her journey's end how much comfort she took in recounting over and over again the incidents of the robbery wondering if it was as john said the very man who had so kindly cautioned her to beware of pickpockets and who thus ascertained where she kept her purse nancy scovendyke too was duly informed of her loss and charged when she came to kentucky 
to look out on the ferry-boat for a youngish good-looking man with brown frock-coat blue cravat and mouth full of white teeth at buffalo mr livingstone had hard work to coax his mother on board the steamboat but he finally succeeded and as the weather chanced to be fine she declared that ride on the lake to be the pleasantest part of her journey at cleveland they took the cars for cincinnati going thence to lexington by stage on ordinary occasions mr livingstone would have preferred the river but knowing in all probability that he should meet with some of his friends upon the boat he chose the route via lexington where he stopped at the phoenix as was his usual custom after seeing his mother and niece into the public parlor he left them for a time saying he had some business to transact in the city scarcely was he gone when the sound of shuffling footsteps in the hall announced an arrival and a moment after a boy apparently fifteen years of age appeared in the door he was richly though carelessly dressed and notwithstanding the good-humoured expression of his rather handsome face there was in his whole appearance an indescribable something which at once pronounced him to be a fast boy a rowdy hat was set on one side of his head after the most approved fashion while in his hand he held a lighted cigar which he applied to his mouth when he saw the parlour was unoccupied save by an old woman and a little girl instinctively lena shrank from him and withdrawing herself as far as possible within the recess of the window pretended to be busily watching the passers-by but she did not escape his notice and after coolly surveying her for a moment he walked up to her saying howdy pollywog i'll be hanged if i know to what gender you belong woman or gal which is it eh none of your business was lena's ready answer spunky ain't you said he unceremoniously pulling one of the brown curls which durward had so longed to touch seems to me your hair don't match the rest of you wonder if tisn't somebody else's head set on your shoulders no it ain't it's my own head and you just let it alone returned lena growing more and more indignant and wondering if this were a specimen of kentucky boys don't be saucy continued her tormentor i only want to see what sort of stuff you are made of made of dirt muttered lena i reckon you are returned the boy but say where did you come from and who do you live with i came from massachusetts and i live with granny said lena thinking that if she answered him civilly he would perhaps let her alone but she was mistaken glancing at granny he burst into a loud laugh and then placing his hat a little more on one side and assuming a nasal twang he said now do tell if you're from massachusetts how do you do little yankee and how are all the folks to hum feeling sure that not only herself but all her relations were included in this insult lena darted forward hitting him a blow in the face which he returned by puffing smoke into hers whereupon she snatched the cigar from his mouth and hurled it into the street bidding him touch her again if he dared all this transpired so rapidly that mrs nichols had hardly time to understand its meaning but fully comprehending it now she was about to come to the rescue when her son reappeared exclaiming john john livingstone jr how came you here had a cannon exploded at the feet of john jr as he was called he could not have been more startled he was not expecting his father for two or three days and was making the most of his absence by having what he called a regular spree taking him altogether he was without being naturally bad a spoiled child whom no one could manage except his father and as his father seldom tried he was of course seldom managed 
never yet had he remained at any school more than two quarters for if he were not sent away he generally ran away sure of finding a champion in his mother who had always petted him calling him johnny darling until he one day very coolly informed her that she was a silly old fool and that he'd thank her not to johnny darling him any longer it would be difficult to describe the amazement of john jr when lena was presented to him as his cousin and mrs nichols as his grandmother something which sounded very much like an oath escaped his lips as turning to his father he muttered won't mother go into fits then as he began to realize the ludicrousness of the whole affair he exclaimed rich good by gracious and laughing loudly he walked away to regale himself with another cigar lena began to tremble for her future happiness if that boy was to live in the same house with her she did not know that she had already more than half won his good opinion for he was far better pleased with her antagonistical demonstrations than he would have been had she cried or ran from him as his sister anna generally did when he teased her after a few moments he returned to the parlour and walking up to mrs nichols commenced talking very sociably to her calling her granny and winking slyly at lena as he did so mr livingstone had too much good sense to sit quietly by and hear his mother ridiculed by his son and in a loud stern voice he bade the young gentleman behave himself la now said mrs nichols let him talk if he wants to i like to hear him he's the only grandson i've got this speech had the effect of silencing john jr quite as much as his father's command if he could tease his grandmother by talking to her he would take delight in doing so but if she wanted him to talk that was quite another thing so moving away from her he took a seat near lena telling her her dress was a heap too short and occasionally pinching her just to vary the sport this last however lena returned with so much force that he grew weary of the fun and informing her that he was going to a circus which was in town that evening he arose to leave the room mr livingstone who partially overheard what he had said stopped him and asked where he was going feigning a yawn and rubbing his eyes john jr replied that he was confounded sleepy and was going to bed lena where did he say he was going asked her uncle lena trembled for john jr had clinched his fist and was shaking it threateningly at her where did he say he was going repeated her uncle poor lena had never told a lie in her life and now braving her cousin's anger she said to the circus sir oh i wish you had not asked me you'll get your pay for that muttered john jr suddenly reseating himself by his father who kept an eye on him until he saw him safely in his room much as john jr frightened lena with his threats in his heart he respected her for telling the truth and if the next morning on their way home in the stage in which his father compelled him to take a seat he frequently found it convenient to step on her feet it was more from a natural propensity to torment than from any lurking feeling of revenge lena was nowise backward in returning his cousinly attentions and so between an interchange of kicks wry faces and so forth they proceeded toward maple grove a description of which will be given in another chapter. End of chapters 3 and 4